Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today we are bringing you another interview from our time down in sunny Scottsdale. I sat down with friend of the show, recurring guest, Jen Roberts, the Director of Marketing Strategy at Service Titan. And if you've listened to any of our conversations before or know Jen, you know that she gets stuff done. Talked about a ton, great conversation, um, especially Jen talking about how she partners with her CRO and her entire executive team, actually providing them competitive memos on what that looks like. Also, her compete team's priorities and how they're working on retention initiatives and being able to differentiate post-sales as well was a really unique perspective that I haven't heard much about yet. And so Jen brings something to the table there. And of course, she shares one of my favorite competitive deal win stories. So great conversation there. Great episode. Also, if you haven't seen any of these interviews on YouTube, go check out the Clue YouTube page. We shot these at our Airbnb in Scottsdale. Our video team really outdid itself this time. Interview looks awesome. Last bit of housekeeping before we get into the conversation. I'm also excited to announce that the season three premiere of Blind Spots with host Ryan Sorley, the VP of Win Loss at Clue, will be launching next Wednesday on May 31st on the Compete Network, of course. Ryan is talking to C-suite leaders and VCs about how they uncovered blind spots within their organization through win-loss and what they did to drive change. So episode one, Ryan has the chief growth officer at Amplify, Vijay Gupta, and they dive into how they powered their go-to-market with win-loss at companies like Microsoft, Adobe, and Salesforce. So this is gonna be awesome season. Check it out on the Compete Network. We'll be dropping next week link will be in the comments here as well if you've heard ryan speak you always want to listen he is a great host might be the best host on our clue shows right now looking at myself on this one anyways with that all said please enjoy my conversation with jen roberts jen thank you for joining us at the villa what are your impressions at the villa well thank you for having me and they're awesome i'm really loving this dried out uh cactus behind me if i don't know if they could see it but it's it's a vibe. We're going to break the fourth wall. As we were, for those of you that are watching the episode on video, Grayson and myself, the man behind the magic here, we're figuring out what would be the best frame for our guests. And we did lug this 10, 12 foot <laughs> tree, palm tree thing behind. And it was a disaster. And we almost broke the Airbnb upon entering here. Almost a giant game of Jenga breaking stuff. But Good sun though, otherwise like it's a, it's a pretty cool place. Shout out Jen from Clue. Again, that's a great spot here and I appreciate you joining me. Let's dive right into, I got a million and one things I wanna Let's ask you. First thing is, uh, it's been mentioned a decent chunk at Skip. It's every, every single person I'm talking to in Compete right now is the market's changed, surprise, spoiler alert. <laughs> things are a little bit different. And I want your take um, as someone running a Compete team How have your priorities shifted and compete from a year ago when we're in Minneapolis, Skip, to today? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I would say the program is at such a different place than where we were a year ago too. So taking that into consideration, um, we were very much building a year ago, right? And setting a foundation. Um, as the, the year has evolved, as the market has evolved, we've taken on this attitude of being thoughtfully ruthless. Um, I can't take any credit for that term. It is a book by Val Wright. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend. Uh, but the idea behind it is really being thoughtful around where we're spending our time and being ruthless in saying no to things. Um, I always position to the team like, I'm really good at saying no. I'm a mom, right? Like, I'm really good at saying no. Come to me if you need me to say no. But uh, we have to be thoughtful about what we say yes to and where we spend our time from a, an entire organization perspective. Um, and so what that's really looked like is an even tighter alignment to our revenue leaders. So thinking about the GMs that cover each audience that we sell into in each focus area, working much more closely. We're far more aligned to them now than we were a year ago in terms of where their head's at, where's the biggest opportunity for us to make an impact. We can't spend time anymore on secondary, tertiary competitors necessarily that we're not seeing as frequently or that that are competing in areas that we are not placing our big bets, right? That's There's a huge misalignment there in terms of how we're spending resources. And so really fine-tuning that um, and being very thoughtful about what we pick as our priorities, communicating that. And then when something comes up, because something always comes up, right? Like hot, hot mess, like a new competitor enters the scene and it, like the world is on fire, the sky is falling, fine. Then we go take it to our leaders and say, look, the sky is falling here. We want to support it. What becomes deprioritized at this point? Because we can't do it all. So really being thoughtful about it and really strong alignment and like saying yes to the things with the biggest impact. That's super interesting. Uh, I, our own CEO, Jason, said that exact line to me and it, it clicked with a bunch of us on our marketing team. It's like the ruthless prioritization, but it's so easy to just be like, sky's falling. Okay, add it on added on it's what needs to be deprioritized in order to do this because as you start to add on more and they all become priorities if everything's a priority then what is a priority right that's the fun part too when you're dealing with gms because that's our model right and and they're kind of the dotted line decision maker right for my ci and my product marketing team and so you know each each gm has their perspective on what are their priorities and everything you know like and then you paint this picture for them like Look, across all of the audiences, this is how we're spending our compete resources over the next quarter or two in these priorities. And sometimes their priority does not make it onto the list, right? And so then it's another conversation. But when you – I illustrate it all very visual um, and – I'm a big whiteboarder at heart. So the digital version of that is, is a roadmap, essentially, just like product does a roadmap. Like we present a roadmap to all of our stakeholders so they know where we're spending our time. Prioritization conversations are, are easier to have. And then they can see like, oh, yeah, well, I thought this was a priority, but you're right. There's a bigger revenue opportunity on this side of the house. That is where you should be spending your compete time. What I love about what you've built at Service Time, the team you've built and the, the brand you've built of Compete in your organization, I think it's something that folks should aspire to and look up to because what you mentioned there is there's such tight alignment with revenue leaders. I'd love to know from your perspective, what does your partnership with these revenue leaders look like? Who are you partnered with and how do you align Compete to what matters most to them? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, what I will say, and I've had the like luxury of having an amazing. Uh, he's no longer. He's still a service side, and he's no longer my boss, but um, now become friend and mentor. Really, kind of helped shape this for us as well. And um, some of the biggest lessons I learned from that over the last year, year and a half since joining Service Titan, it's all about managing up. And so um, it, it doesn't always look so pretty. So yes, I have one-on-ones with with all the GMs and, and you know, our CRO and we have conversations and we slack about all the sky is falling things that happen and we talk priorities and we align all the, the jargony words. But some of the most tactical pieces that have been most beneficial to me have been things like I send a monthly letter to our exe- the entire executive team breaking down exactly what we're doing like and, and links to the memos in terms of the approach and the outcomes that we're driving from that effort. And and sometimes it's little, like we're delivering, you know, content. Sometimes it's bigger, like we're message testing or we're enabling on battle cards or we're, you know, we're showing them, we're integrating, we're interviewing people, we're getting feedback. The point of all of this is, is that when you're in a place where you don't know what's going on and you don't know how Compete is impacting or you don't know what they're delivering, like, yeah, it's really easy for you in the Compete seat to be like, but I made 12 battle cards and I enabled them and all these things. That's great. But the leaders... They don't know that, first of all. They don't have that visibility. And and second of all, it, like, why does it matter, right? And so it's surfacing to them on a regular basis, something that they know they can expect, that they can reference, and then the impact it's delivering. So um, with, with your CRO in particular there, how do you – what are some of the things you do to prove impact that – because what does the CRO care about? Yeah. Improving win rates against competitors – end result is improving hidden revenue targets, right? How do you, from a compete standpoint, prove that impact to them and then get them bought into this kind of culture of compete? Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to like behavioral psychology, right? Like like you mentioned, like what motivates them? What do they care about? At the end of the day, it's revenue, uh, whether that's net new or uh, retention revenue, you know, we can talk about that. But when it comes to the conversations we have, we know we have a regular meeting and, and we're very lucky to have a very competitive kind of culture. But I think sale, regardless of if the broad culture is competitive, sales and is inherently competitive, right? And not only competitive against those competitors in the market, but competitive against each other. So tapping into that has been super helpful in ways like, oh, hey, we know, and Clue has been an amazing thought partner here. Like, we have identified these folks as heavy users of competitive intel. So then we're giving them a pat on the back. They want to be our champions organically because we're helping them out. We also do silly things like have coffee on compete to give gift cards and, you know, incentivize in all the ways you can, right? But um, then we surface that up and say, not only are we giving accolades to the team on the ground doing the job, but we can show their win rate is better than those that are not using it, right? And then we start to quantify. I think something else that's really interesting that I'm looking to really push into um, over the next you know, year, it's a bit ambitious because there's a lot of moving parts, but it's how do you then tie it back to product outcomes, right? So I think the revenue outcome piece is still something that as an industry, as compete in general, is still trying to figure out and, and the attribution piece of it. Um, there are definitely ways you can do it like I just shared and sh- showing the samples and, and the differences in those samples. 
But when it comes to product, if we think about like, what are our big differentiators against, you know, XYZ competitor? How are we selling that motion? How are we messaging that motion? Great. Now they've, they've closed one. Fantastic. We've improved their win rate. Okay. Now is that customer using those differentiators in the product? How has adoption changed there, right? So, and maybe we think that it's a huge differentiator and we're selling on it and we come to find that they're not even turning it on in the product. Well, that comes back to us. We have to reframe our messaging. Or we can show product like, look, we're just seeing stronger adoption here. We're selling on this. It's a huge part of our value proposition. That's kind of like the holistic picture, which we're going to get into as well later in the conversation. It's sort of like that's sort of like churn prevention, making sure you have valuable customers coming in. Because as you mentioned, when you're talking to a CRO and you're talking about what compete, how compete relates to that is it's not just net new, especially right now. It is maintaining a customer base and competitors are likely going after existing customers more than ever before right now. I want before we get into that, I want to get into... Um, something we've talked a lot about with Clue customers and other folks in Compete. This, And you've, you've kind of touched on this concept already, but like quantifying and closing your competitive revenue gap. Tipping those winnable deals, those deals that are neck and neck that everyone, everyone has, those sellers that are going back and forth on Slack. You don't know who's going to win. And it's those ones on the margins. Can you tell me about a time in your career, maybe as a service time or in previous stops, where you help tip one of those winnable deals, the most memorable win you're a part of? Yeah, um, got a few exciting ones, if you will. Uh, but I think I look back kind of earlier in my career um, and there was an ankle biter on the scene just killing us in the market, right? <laughs> and we were a bigger, more established player. Um, and we saw them starting to significantly take prospects, if you will, from our pipeline. And uh, there was one deal in particular that meant a lot to the to the company and Compete was brought in. I don't generally advocate for Compete to be brought in on like a deal-to-deal -deal basis. I just want to throw that out there. It is not scalable, um, but I get it. You know, we, we do get brought in once in a while, um, especially on like larger, larger deals and, and that's okay. Um, but this deal in particular, uh, it came down to how we partnered at the end of the day, right? So we had a, a seller really selling on product, and I think that's that's great too. But at the end of the day, if you're being if you're going back and forth on features and functions, like in my head, you've already lost the deal because you're not selling on value. And so in this deal in particular, you know, we were able to work with the AE to come up with a quick dismiss of sorts, right? To take them out of the weeds of like, this has widget ABC, but I need widget DEF. And like, and to pull the conversation back up to value and close the deal. And, th and that's what I love seeing. There's more of a general than like one specific deal. But like when I think about if when we intervene and how we intervene, you know, that's really something that I push the team to. It's like, we cannot, go back to back on like a heat map of they say they do it, we say we do it. Like you have to pull back up to value and then how we deliver that value in terms of that differentiation. From that deal that occurred and you being in that hands-on position, seeing that go over the finish line, is there something you took from that moment or some of those moments that you've like applied in your compete career and also the team you oversee now? 
Yeah, it's a great question. One, we should be getting, you know, the the kickback from closing the deal. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, we should be incentivized here. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, no, but there are definitely the definitely lessons in it, especially when we do get pulled into these one-offs. I mean, even in in the current role, we get pulled into certain deal cycles, right? Um, especially on some of the the competitors in newer spaces. And so, some of the biggest takeaways are like, look, you can. You can build content, you know, we're all very research-minded. You, you get lost in that content so fast. Um, and and that was the biggest lesson for that deal that I was specifically talking about was like, look, we had a battle card for it, right? We didn't position that battle card properly to our sellers because it's not just about positioning in the market. It's how you position internally as well, right? Like you're selling just as much externally as you are internally. And we were just not hitting the mark with the content. And it is definitely – taken if i look at think about what the battle card looked like back then to what it is now like it has evolved greatly because we started just being better listeners on what they want we'll be right back after a word from the compete network i'm ryan sorley vp of win loss at clue and founder of double check research and on season three of blind spots i'm sitting down with the executives founders and investors who make win loss an indispensable part of their go-to-market strategy from executives like Vijay Gupta, the chief growth officer at Amplify, to the former CEO of Demandware, now Salesforce Commerce Cloud, Tom Ebling, we're going to deep dive into why they care about win-loss and why you should too. Know your buyer, know your competition, and learn from leaders who know both better than anyone, all on season three of Blind Spots, powered by the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. And I think as well, being better listeners, but being aligned with them, being around them is, again, I think I've used the word osmosis like 42 times this week, but like just being in the same room and putting yourself into those situations. Um, I'm thinking about our conversation with Dan yesterday is he loves to be in on those strategic deals and you take things from that to then serve at scale, right? And actually, this kind of, this segues into my next question is you said, but you, it's not scalable to be in every single deal. Um, at Clue, we actually just launched a research report or the the findings will be out soon, but we surveyed 300 revenue leaders, C-suite and above. And the interesting find is many, but one that stood out to me that I've been asking people's takes on is 72% are very confident that their reps know their big differentiators. They know their competitors' big differentiators. They're, they're confident with that. But only 31% are confident that they can actually communicate, demonstrate, show that differentiated value effectively. So I'd love your take as someone in Compete. How do you bridge the gap from knowing these things to being able to execute and differentiate? Um, I mean, 70% is a bit, first of all, like going to the first stat, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I believe it. I believe they believe it. I don't know if it's true. Um I think that like, yes, old reps that have been around for longer for sure know the market. Like they're actually a harder sell to get into your compete program, right? Because they don't have the ramp um, that newer ramp, that newer reps have. Um, but it, that gap really resonates in terms of like, you, you know, you can lead a horse to water, right? Uh, and so <clears throat> as it relates there, I think being in these strategic deals does help. I think talking to these reps one-on-one -on -one does help because not only are you listening, but then they feel heard. They're more bought into it. If you're 
taking their feedback into account as you build. And I think that's super important. Um, the other piece of it is in getting them to like, you know, to, to articulate those differentiators um, comes down to the content you provide them. Right. And so I mentioned like, yes, I think a lot of us get lost in like these very in-depth battle cards because we as one audience love to know all the details. We also know that we have a lot of other stakeholders to serve that too and that have differing needs. And so how do you curate that, right? Um, the right content to the right stakeholders. And then the other piece of it is that like Compete has to be positioned as like a networker and a facilitator right? Like we facilitate and curate that content or help to move a project initiative along, right? Depending on what the compete needs are there. But we're also here to network, right? Like something that I love that we did at Expedia was this, this um, program called Raise Your Game, right? And I'm trying to bring it back at Service Titan, mark my word, like it is happening. But essentially, we started getting sellers who we saw positioned, you know, to articulate that 30% that articulates it really well, <clears throat> we started listening to calls, asking them to then in two to three minutes snippets, we would do like podcast type content, like explain your strategy. Like three minutes or under, like talk about how you depositioned because we saw you do it. How did you use that information and position it properly in the conversation? What hints did you hear from the customer that you knew then that you had to pick it up and <clears throat> start having the conversations? Because it's more of a behavior thing, right? Like you can give them the best content, you can give them the three talk tracks, however, but you have to get them in the mindset and, and really support the behavior of it. And so how do you do it? And I we could tell them how to do it, but like at the end of the day, I'm just Jen Roberts sitting behind a computer like I'm not boots on the ground. Get the folks that are doing it well to share their strategy and how they're doing it to start changing that behavior. I love the thing about like how they're doing it, like thinking about the strategy too, not just saying it. And I think it's like a combination of that. And then like you mentioned there, like reforming what your self-serve battle card content is to be in a way that's applicable. We always talk about like the no say show framework that is so much more applicable. And then you layer on the like, what is, what are you thinking internally seller and how you're using these, that kind of framework. It kind of pieces together, like building the quality content, but then also tapping into this group, the people that are the best out there to support at scale. Yep. There's, and there's that piece of it too. And then um, the, 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 the scale piece is huge, right? Because you've got to, like, we've got to do a million things with a million priorities and with less resources, showing them how to do it, giving them the how, giving them examples, but it's continuous too, right? Like, it can't just be like, we're going to enable you and throw it over the line and then you have to connect it to your value propositions. I, it's amazing. This will be kind of my third go ahead around at, at developing a compete program. Um, but it has been an, uh, an eye-opening experience that like, even though Compete sits in product marketing, still how disjointed we can be from the value that the product itself is delivering um, with that differentiation. Having a drum beat too. There's like, in your mind, you're like, this is obvious. This is obvious. I'm around it so much, but you just got always tie it back. Always remind, always remind. My favorite question I've asked this week that I can't wait for your answer is, what's the biggest screw up you've made, the biggest mess up you've made in your compete career? What did you learn from it? Honest, that's a great question. Oh man, 
there's so many. Um, in all fairness, and I orient the team on this too, like it's not a mess up, it's not failure, it's a lesson, right? And so I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I was, ha- I, I think like a lot of us in Compete, we didn't necessarily like put on the cap and we're like, I'm going to be a competitive intelligence leader. Like this is what I'm going to do, right? Uh, we fell into it. And so I think early days I fell, I, I fell into it um, at Intap and I kind of fell into it kicking and screaming. Like you will not put me in this box. Like this is not what I want to do. Um, and I, I started to like, I developed, I did all the things that you were supposed to do, right? Like I developed the content and like, um, but I think the biggest lesson I learned there and the biggest kind of step that I took was that while I was doing bottoms up, I wasn't doing top down. And in terms of conversations and instilling the culture and instilling the importance of compete in every every motion we do from, you know, early stage pipeline to closing the deal to nurturing that and showing the value, the differentiation that we're delivering, right? And it is so holistic and it can be so robust. And and. I was so focused on delivering the deliverables I thought I was supposed to deliver for the role that I didn't want to be in uh, that I missed sight of. And it landed flat. Like, let's be real. When you're just taught, like, yes, you need to talk to the sellers and the people on the ground and the users of it, and you need to shape it in that way. But it will not get traction unless it's coming from both sides. Yeah, and you can't have the tick box mentality, right? And now you've got this kind of the way you, you mentioned off the top here about conversations you're having with sales leaders, your CRO, that are thinking about compete. They're thinking about it every single moment now with deals that are more important than ever. It's like, it's ingrained. And I think what I love when we, we actually just talked off offline here a little bit. Is it offline, off air? I don't All know. All the things, Off yeah. of something. <laughs> but you mentioned is like, they are inherently competitive. They know that deals are competitive. Uh, and I think this is the case across every business, but connecting the dot of like there is a compete team out here that will help you compete better and sometimes there's there's this like disconnect of like not knowing that there's just resources here and that's actually the big shift in terms of oftentimes when we look at businesses now looking to like be as efficient as possible they might see compete teams that aren't able to do that as a cost center and not a revenue driver and there's like i'd love for you to share how you kind of shifted the cost center to revenue driver uh, image maybe of your of your program. Yeah, it's about education at the end of the day, right? So just educating folks on what you do. And and I talked earlier about it. I talked before on it, like the importance of like showing impact and quantifying it. There's qualitative pieces to do it. Like I brought in a new CI leader, and to me, like if my executives are reaching out to her instead of me, winning, right? So there's those indicators as well as you think about educating and, and getting into that more proactive, strategic mindset. Um, but tapping into just behave, behavioral psychology is also a huge one. When it comes to sellers, they're competitive. When it comes to product and tapping in there, you know, they're looking to build. And they're competitive in nature too because they just want the superior product. And so there's that piece of it. Looking back on like s- the sales stakeholders, the revenue stakeholders, right? Um, not only are they competitive, which we've talked about, but you know, incentivizing that and and making and gamifying also helps, right? Um, the continuous enablement. But I, I think there's a piece to it as well that like you have to teach them about the mindset. Not only are they competing against 
a competitor, they're competing against status quo. And you're here to help them no matter what, right? Or status quo, the incumbent, whatever, right? And so I, I'm so fortunate at Service Night to have such a competitive, I mean, even my CMO is competitive, right? Like there is not a com- non-competitive person there. And so that really does help in organizations where it's more so like, you're, we, we know we need it, but we don't know how to use it. Um, those are much bigger hills to climb. And I've definitely had to climb them before, um, but also change perspective on terms of like, no, I'm not, we're not just, I'm not just here. We're not just here as a team to produce content, you know, like we're here to activate those insights. And I think that's where the interesting conversation comes into play because activating insights is very difficult. Like whether it's competitive insights or it's market research, whatever, win loss, like all of it, like how do you activate it? And you get into these conversations where you talk to your different stakeholders and they all want it to look different. So how do you slice up that turkey without like totally alienating your team and being like, hey, that thing that you did, can you actually like reorient it in like eight different ways? Because like eight different people want to see it differently, right? And so that's where education comes into play. Uh, I mentioned this one again. I've, I think I've referred to this quote so many times, but literally what you mentioned there is uh, Matt Koblenz session a couple weeks ago on the Compete Network and he, this he just said this line. It was, we're not competitive. <laughs> we're not competitor Intel. We're competitive. We're helping folks be more competitive. And I think you mentioned that with like status quo. You're helping them be more successful. It's not just set. a huge element is how do you be competitive ABC, but ultimately the end goal is from a sales standpoint is one deal or building a superior product. And I like that like mindset shift and then, in terms of how people will perceive what Compete can provide. I've taken up a lot of your time, but I did want to get into something else really interesting as well is from the research report, and I don't think this is a surprise, but uh, the most important revenue stream right now for revenue leads is customer retention. And I feel like this might be a little bit of a black box in the world of Compete and how Compete initiatives support retention, support maybe CS or or maybe even winbacks of customers that have churned. Is retention and winbacks a priority for you and your compete team? And how are you approaching that? Yeah, it's a company goal. So I'm not surprised by that statistic at all. It's it's definitely big right now in, in I think, most industries, but SaaS B2B for sure. Um, but this is an area where I believe compete can be incredibly helpful and supportive, right? And so I mentioned kind of like the early stage pipeline to close the deal to making sure we're supporting our customers and showing them that value. Uh, And Compete has the ability to really impact here. If we think about becoming that strategic partner, once they're our customer, once they're onboarded, how can we become that strategic partner? How can we make sure that they're using the features and functions that we know our competitors do don't do or or do a, a worse job at, right? And so, you know, we work closely with our CS team. Um, they have a, We have an amazing group of individuals and a center of excellence there that we work closely with. And it's, it's twofold. It's one, getting the right content in front of the customers and helping shape what that content looks like so that we continue to have a competitive edge even though they're on our product, right? Um, and there's a tie into like release marketing as well there, I- ensuring that we're highlighting the right pieces to our customers um, so they know that, you know, we're continuing to innovate and we continue to be superior um, in the market. But then there's this other aspect of like getting brought into a deal uh, when we're about to lose or if we notice a competitor taking, you know, marginal you know, uh, 
you know, a nice size of our customer base, or at least trying to come after our customer base in that way. And so there's definitely things that we've done in terms of like responding to that competitive attack, if you will, um, and broadly operationalized. And then on like the one-off pieces where we get these customers who are showing, you know, that they're, they're going to a competitor, you know, <clears throat> we make sure that our CS team is completely enabled. We actually, um, you know, have been been working with our CS team and our onboarding team around what content they need in order for when they take a customer from a competitor, like what will make them the most successful and differentiate us so they can see our value quickly that they weren't getting from the competitor on the onboarding side. And then on the success side of it, it's if we know that they're about to leave, how can we provide those kind of quick dismiss pieces in our battle cards specifically versioned for success and positioned in that way um so they can bring that into the conversation like hey we you know we hear you that we you know we're not delivering here but just so you know and without getting like feature a feet into a feature fight right you know this is the value we deliver through these you know features and functions together um we you know Go ahead. We plant a little fud, right? Ask the, you know, ask the person that you're speaking to at the competitor what they're doing, right? Um, I had mentioned off camera, what not uh, off. Um, yes, that a boomerang is like my favorite, right? So when we are involved in in an <clears throat> in these deals where you know when we've lost customers and then they come back, like competitive is actually brought in by the executive team pretty early into that process so that we can interview them and talk to them about like, hey, why did you leave? Why did you come back? And you can get some amazing insight That's to the share. biggest story yeah. you can tell, yes. right? It's like this whole, that's like a whole nother layer. It's like chapter two of the story that you're telling your your, your team. Right, because then we have better ammo too when our CS team comes against the same situation where someone wants to leave. We can not just have like something tangible to say, hey, look, we know that they can't deliver on this value, but we also, hey, do you want to talk to this individual? Or maybe we have a case study that we can share with you about someone who experienced something that you're articulating. And that's it. I'm endlessly fascinated in how you enable CS. We'll have to do another episode on this because there's something interesting because as someone in customer success, you are dealing with a customer that has experienced your pro uh, product. And maybe they have a problem. A competitor can come in and they can sort of, they can deliver a lot of promises so, and they can tap into the pain of what your customer's experiencing hands-on and there's greener pastures that they may or may not be true, but it's a promise. And I feel like that's a heck of a lot more difficult for a customer success. This is not something that a seller would deal with. No, it's definitely not. And I think product-led growth also lends a hand in here, right? Like, you know, how do we make sure that they're realizing that value? So there's a huge piece there. Um, and, you know, as you think about working and partnering with product and making sure that as we think about PLG, you know, we're we're also anchoring on the value of difference and, and why we're superior. Um, but it is it is a whole different orientation on, on it's not selling the value, it's making sure that they are quick to realizing that value. And that's, yeah, you mentioned the mindset sh shift, the mindset shift of value selling at the top. And I like carrying it across and like compete being the team that brings that across from the handoff to sales is like, like you mentioned, when you ramp up a customer to almost future proof them against competitors is knowing what their pain points are, knowing the things that will drive the most value to them and make them the stickiest customer. And granted, that's a CS and onboarding a, a priority, but I think competitive can inform that. 100%. Um, oh. 
Yes. And like, I think there's, I know I'm, I'm to continue and we can take it off for another day, but like, there's also this like beautiful piece of it where I mentioned like network and facilitating, right? But like just doubling down on that, it, you have to position compete as a, being a part of amplifying cross-function. Cause like everything we've mentioned, it's not just done in a box, right? There are so many people involved and, and processes involved. And so look, some of these, and especially as companies look to be thoughtfully ruthless and prioritize, some of these conversations are gonna happen with or without you, right? And so you have to amplify cross-function and pull the right people in and bring a point of view in order to keep that seat table to be able to have that holistic conversation we just talked about so much (laughs) i apologize for taking you away from a conference where you've attended (laughs) but anytime i get to chat with you and in person this is so this is so much better i love doing these in person jen thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me let's enjoy some sun too let's do it (laughs)